So uh, Joshua Patterson, welcome to the journey. And uh, I know we, we've known each other for, for a, a handful of years now. And actually, I think we originally met uh, through, through my son, Caleb. And uh, when you were at Rockford University, as a, I, th I think you were in graduate school at that time, correct? Yes, sir. I was actually a, a grad assistant in the, the Lang Health Center. Nice, nice. Okay. And so let me just explain a little bit uh, what the journey is about. The journey is uh, a show just trying to capture individuals, uh, just ordinary people who are doing some extraordinary things just with their own story. For some people, it's uh, failing. Uh, maybe they had some setbacks in their life and how they failed forward and how what they learn from those setbacks and other individuals. Maybe they had some stuff go on, but they really wanted, they had something driving inside. They wanted to make a difference in the community and how can they give back and how can they, you know, uh, try to make a difference. And I know ever since I've known you, when Caleb and I first introduced, you know, introduced us, um, that has been a big part of your story. So, um, but we'll jump into all that. But before we do all that, for, for the people who are listening, what, is, what does Josh do for fun? What, what do you do for fun? When you get an opportunity for fun, what do you do for fun? Absolutely. Um, man, first of all, I just want to say thank you. I appreciate it, uh, the opportunity to be on the journey. Um, as you mentioned, we've known each other for some time, and uh, I just respect you, you know, as a man and as a father, and I appreciate uh, this platform that you've created. Right. Thank you, man. Thanks. Absolutely. Uh, but as far as what I do for fun, man, I'm a young father as well, have a yeah. four-year-old son. Um, I always think no matter what I'm doing, that's my primary responsibility. Uh, so I really have grown to grown to enjoy after four years <laughs> uh, fathering. Uh, that's a, a, a labor of love. Um, also, uh, man, I've been I've been a writer for about um, man, since I was a senior in high school. So it's many moons, maybe about uh, going on 12, 13 years now. And uh, so I love to write. I write songs. I write poems. Um, and uh, yeah, so I consider myself an artist, uh, also making music. So uh, actually in 2018, I uh, recorded and released my, my first studio album. So <laughs> that was a lot of fun, um, playing guitar okay. and uh, reading, I would have to say probably my, my most uh, favorite pastimes. Nice. So, so tell, tell us a little bit about how, how did you get introduced to the worlds of, of the arts, uh, the world of writing? Who, who, who kind of opened that door up for you? Um, or did, how'd you discover that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my, senior, my senior year in high school, I had a government teacher, uh, shout out to Ms. Mr. Cruz, <laughs> and uh, in Zion, Illinois, at Zion Ben Township High School. Uh, Mr. Cruz, he had a senior project that he made everyone, he introduced us to spoken word poetry. And as a project, he made all of the seniors in our class actually write a piece of spoken word. And that was my introduction and uh, just fell in love with it. At the time they had, um, there was a, a, a show on HBO called Deaf Poetry Jam. Yep. And that, that show was actually organized by uh, Rich, I mean, sorry, uh, Brother Simmons, uh, Rev Run's brother. Um, and uh, I don't know, I just fell in love, fell in love with the art form. I love the fact that you could say anything um, and 
express yourself. There was no limitations on how you could express yourself. And that was something that was new to me. And I was actually celebrated and, and accepted um, through Richard Simmons and all the other producers and, and, uh, and the artists themselves. So I just fell in love with that. I think a lot of times in my life, especially up until that point, there was always a rule for how you had to be, you know? And uh, that was the one platform that there were no rules and you can be truly who you were. I could go in a couple different directions on that one. So, I mean, I, look, <laughs> let me, well, well, let me start with this one. So, so Mr. Cruz was your actual government instructor for your <laughs> senior year. And, and that seems to be a little bit of a different type of project for, of a, of a stereotypical government teacher. So tell how did that fit together and how did that all play out? Besides in your case, obviously for you, it, it opened up a door, but that seems to be a unique project for a government, you know, a government class. Yeah, I, I think that Mr. Cruz would be proud proud if I described him as unorthodox <laughs> in his methods. Um, but I, de I definitely, to me, the connection that it, it made, um, you know, he always encouraged us to use our voices. Mm -hmm. And the way that he taught us about democracy you know, being a system that was really for the people um, and what should work for the people. Um, that was the connection I, I felt like he was making. And the way that he talked about something, you know, I always, I, always, I always took away from that class that, you know, most people vote their pocketbook. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> the way he talked, uh, I don't know what I took away from the class, I'll say, is that, you know, traditionally the stereotype of Democrats is that, you know, they're for the working class, you know, and uh, Republicans tend to be individuals who are um, upper middle, middle class or upper class individuals. And uh, so it's interesting that if you take somebody that might be middle class, and by whatever means they work themselves into a higher social economic class. Uh, at that time, going back to them voting their pocketbook, what they based on the stereotypical norms of those parties now convert to Republican mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because it might benefit their pocketbook more now. You know, I think a prime example. Uh, you know, with the, with the tax hike or when we're talking about taxes and taxing individuals who make more money, you know, it's easy for me to say, oh yeah, absolutely, let's do that if I'm below that threshold. But at the point where now we're talking about taxing my money, now <laughs> I'm singing a different song. So yeah. huh, that's something, you know, I, I think that he was just making the, I think Mr. Cruz was would, would make the point of how important it is when we talk about true democracy for our government to reflect the voices of the people that um, the citizens that it's serving. And then at the same time, taking a look in the mirror, us as, as citizens, you know, um, with these in, in a two party, you know, a major two party system, um, how do we, is it really about principle and is it really about moral morality or is it more so about money? <laughs> And oftentimes, I think that's what has divided, you know, a lot of individuals 
at the core, it's been about how does this particular thing impact me? And when we're talking about qualifying there, a lot of times people are looking at their pocketbook. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, and, you know, just with my own, my own personal story, my, you know, my, my dad was a factory worker. So, you know, lower class just maybe broke that threshold up to that middle class. But prior to that, both of my, my parents um, came from pretty low, you know, pretty pro low economic, you know, we always, they always had everything they needed. But there was, they did they they had what they needed, but they didn't know what they could have, you know, type of thing. Mm-hmm. And um, and so I grew up in that situation. Go to become a social worker. So that's stereotypical. If you're a social worker, you have to be democratic. And um, and and then later when I opened up KP Counseling, now I'm a business owner, and I'm like. Oh, oh, okay. Some of these things they're they're shifting. So it's it is very interesting. But I never, never necessarily ever was a ticket, a, a, just a straight line ticket person. It was more about who is going to be uh, the best leader, who's going to be the person who's going to represent the the because it because I'm I may be one way physically at times and then I may be another way socially and I may be another you know regarding different topics I I, I move over and and I would for me I don't call that wishy-washy I call that it's 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 a much more of a continuum than as these two black and white categories you know yeah no and I see that and I, I think that you know um the unfortunate thing, you know, I wish that, especially for my generation, and I, I think I can say this now, generation below me, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I think that it's, uh, you know, when we talk about, there's a, a, a decade, which I'm 31. So, you know, individuals being able to vote at 18, you know, I, I'm a decade at least, you know, uh, removed from, the, you know, an 18 year old um but i work with 18 year i work with young people day in and day out and um i definitely think that um there's an opportunity around civics and you know some of the conversations i have with 18 year olds you know um and 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 even individuals you know older than i am i think across the board across the um you know i Think there's an opportunity sometimes people are blaming people for things they don't necessarily have the capacity or capability to resolve mm-hmm. and i see that definitely on a local level you know people talk about the school board or the superintendent you know and they're they just don't have a thorough understanding of the system you know if we're talking about the public school system you know um it's uh you know, there's a plethora, there's there's levels and there's layers to, you know, this one issue that you might have. And it's like, how do we work within the system uh, to um, create systematic change? And I, I don't know if, you know, and this is just this is anecdotal. These are just the people that I engage and interact with on a daily basis or at whatever point. You know, I think when we talk about we go to the polls to vote and not necessarily knowing what we're voting for because there's maybe a gap in a, or a blind spot in understanding what the civic duty is of that particular office. 
and what that particular office has the, the ability to impact. And so we don't really know, you know, sometimes people don't know how, you know, that what they're voting for and how that actually impacts it. And I think impacts their lives, but there's a lot of sense, there's a sensational component to at least American politics. You know, I don't even think the candidate, the candidate themselves, especially when we talk about the president, to me, it's, it's almost like a theater, you know, where, <laughs> you know, before, you know, to even apply for the job is, you know, how would you look or how would you come off to amass, you know, a majority of Americans, you know, um, versus are, where do you stand on these particular issues? And down to what a politician says, you know, the, the political, the, um, the presidential candidates, you know, everything that they said, you know, typically, <laughs> you know, is very, is picked through with a fine tooth comb, you know, and, you know, if you say this, this way, this is how it will feel, you know, or this is how it'll come off to the individuals that are watching. And I just think that that to me can, um, you know, it's things that they're saying, they can politicize things that, that are very real in ways that aren't real. And that impacts the way that people behave and how they feel about themselves and the, the world around them. And I think that can be dangerous. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, and, and I think you make, a, I think you bring up a great point. And maybe, maybe in the last, you know, you know, eight years, 12 years, maybe more so than any other time, recognizing that the limitations of the position of president of the United States has, because if that individual doesn't have the ability to lead Congress into following what he or she is trying to do, then there's this divide <clears throat> and it ends up being this group versus that group. And, and I think you know, the, 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 the president only has as much power as they can influence the Congress, the, the house and the Senate to take that suggestion, you know? So you're right the, to, to know that, that not only voting for the president's important, but voting for who you're putting into the U S Senate, who you're putting into the U S uh, house of representatives is equally as important because that's going to have a lot to do with if the person's, ideas even get moved forward. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, you know, some people have just gotten turned off. They feel like no matter who's in what seat, you know, my life is going to be the same. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't think that that's necessarily true. Um, but perception is reality. And if people feel like that's true, they're going to behave based on, on that. And uh, so you know, I think, you know, I'm optimistic, you know, I work with young people every day. And um, I definitely think that we all want some of the same things. You know, we all, you know, it's just, um, I think it, 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 it might look and sound different for, you know, it's kind of like religion. <laughs> so many options, so many things to choose from. But at the end of the day, I think it's a lot of them, you know, a lot of people are looking for the same things in religion, no matter what religion it is. Um, and that's the same thing out of government, you know, out of, um, out of life, you know? Um, so I'm excited. You know, I think we just had, you know, got out of a pretty, uh, you know, 
long and uh you know i think it was a pretty uh eventful you know election cycle and uh i'm optimistic you know but i definitely i definitely appreciate the seeds that mr cruz you know thinking back to my government class and how important it is to use your voice um because i think if you are using your voice you know um and I think what's also important, my brother, he talks a lot about avoiding the echo chamber, you know? Yeah, yeah tell, what, what does he mean by that? What, is, what does Matt mean by that? <laughs> yeah, shout out Matt Simpson. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think he's just talking about the importance of diversity, mm. you know? Um, and, you know, when you have individuals that think and act and sound just like you, mm you know, all around you, you know, nothing that you say is wrong, you know, nothing that you say, and not necessarily even wrong, but just uh, critiqued, you know, and you say something and the people around you, since they think and, and behave and they live and they are just like you, they say the exact same thing back to you. Um, so there's no, um, there's really no, no balance, no weight and balance for or checks and balances for anything that you say. And I think that, I mean, again, that can be dangerous, you know, and even just from, from a growth standpoint, you know, it can stunt your growth, you know, when if everything Kevin Polky said, you know, everybody said, yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, that sounds right. And they were genuinely thinking that because, you know, they kind of have the same experience as you and background. And um, there's just, we all have blind spots. And so the value of having people with different perspectives around you is that maybe they can see something that you might not be able to see just because they have a perspective that you don't have. And that is the way that you can optimize, you know, any effort um, because we all have blind spots. But if there's people around a table who have different ones than I have, you know, maybe out of 10 blind spots, we'll hit eight of them, you know. Um, so just avoiding the echo chamber. Uh, I think that that helps you be innovative, that helps you be creative, um, that helps you be uh, uh, solutions oriented in ways that you might not be just independently or by yourself. Well, I think, you know, one of, one of the things that just regarding the role of not just presidency, even though I think that's a huge role, but also regarding like a business leader is that there comes great responsibility with that that role or that position and and for and for me that's what i'm i'm hoping right is that this particular uh, uh leadership will will take and own that responsibility to cast a vision not just to get elected but cast a vision for people to be able to get behind and and and, mm. and really follow you know because it, it's okay. So now it's done. You won. Okay. Now, now, now the work begins. And, yeah. and I think that's the responsibility of, of a leader of, of any organization is to cast a vision that is going to be life-giving and, and allow growth to happen. Because I appreciate the idea of everyone being a yes man to Kevin, but uh, not only does that sound really boring to me, um, but I think I, I know how dangerous that's gonna be, you know? And, and I've surrounded myself with people at the different companies that I run 
who don't say yes. And don't get me wrong, it's real uncomfortable when they tell me no. <laughs> and, and I don't initially like it or anything, but I know because I trust and respect them that I know that they're saying no or challenging me because of the bigger, the bigger purpose, the bigger, the bigger good that we're trying to accomplish. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that, and sometimes, I mean, I, I'm just now, this is the first time, so I'm a year, a little less than a year into a position, you know, where I'm supervising individuals that are being paid. Um, so I'm quote unquote, somebody's boss. Sure. And um, I definitely see how, you know, I'm not the, you know what I mean? I'm, I don't consider myself the smartest person in the room. You know, I think collectively, I think what makes me smart is that I value the perspective and the ideas. You know, when we're thinking through an issue, I'll present it to the group, you know, that if especially, especially if it's going to impact them or their job and what they do and how they do it, I'll present it to the group and say, this is what's being proposed and this is why. You know, so I, I think the initial buy-in is the fact that I'm explaining to them why something needs to happen in this particular instance. And my thought process comes from factoring, you know, I'm like, I want to see it from every in which way. And so my initial presentation, or maybe there hasn't been an initial or first perspective or, um, you know, or decision being made, a tentative decision being made, you know, I explain this is the tentative decision, this is why. Um, and once you lay it out more often than not, if you're a good leader and you thought about it from, from, you know, as many angles as possible, they can probably get behind and understand where you're coming from. But then they might say, okay, well, in addition to that, what about this or what about that? Um, and it just, it just adds so much to the solution. Um, and I, I think that if, if, if more people did that, you know, when you're making a decision for thousands and thousands and thousands of people, you know, um, you know, you want, you know, as, as close as you can get, you know what I'm saying? You're still 30,000 feet away. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 You know? Yeah. Well, so. and, to, and to be able to invite people into the process, you know, a handful of different things come. Now, it's definitely a much more laborious, pro, you know, process. And, and if, you're, if your ego isn't in check and if you haven't done some work on yourself, then, you know, your toes are going to feel stepped on and you're going to feel like, oh, they're not respecting me or, or whatever. But if you trust the process, not only do you get probably a better outcome, but along the way, everybody individually and as a team grows. And that, yeah. that's bigger than probably the, even, the, even the project that we're actually working on is that, that, that it, it, everyone's growing through it. And that, to me, that's a, that's a, equally as important. You know, it's kind of like sports, right? It, is, it's, it isn't about necessarily if you get the W or not, because it's probably not going to be the first or the last game you're ever going to play. It's about what did you learn? What, you know, what did you learn about yourself in that play? Um, and, and so I, I, I do think it's, uh, that's what I love about studying leadership and, and, and being in a role of leadership is, is that it, it's an on, for me, it's an ongoing learning experience and what works somewhere. Okay. I may have to morph and, and, and flex a little bit in a different direction to, to, to do it something different in a different setting or Absolutely. whatever. 
No, I agree. And that's one thing uh, I always, we talk a lot about, we're in the influence game. We're trying to be influential. We're trying to influence the youth that we work with to do something positive. And they have influences that are trying to get them to maybe do something negative. So what are other things that influence young people? You know, music is something that always comes to mind. And music is something that's constantly innovating. You know, you have artists that have been making some music for, you know, decades, and they're still trying to, you know, make, use a sound in a way that hasn't been used before. Um, so it's constantly innovating and it's influencing, and we're trying to influence the same individuals that music is influencing. So how can we, you know, we should be constantly innovating as well um, as influencers. And how are we innovating? You know, and I think that, I think that you have to, you know, we talk about artists that are constantly working with different producers and maybe having a bunch of people in a room. You know, I've, I've heard some of my favorite artists say that they've made some of their best songs only because there was another really great artist sitting right next to them. And they felt like sort of a competitive spirit, you know, where like, okay, like I have to, it challenged them in a way that they, you know, to make the best, you know, whatever they were working on at that minute, it had to be the best. No, I, I can do that better. I'm thinking of a rhyme, like I can make that better because they had some of the best artists, you know, kind of right next to them. So, you know, I think that speaks to the people that you have on your team, you know, and uh, and really, I think just your ability to get the best out of people, even if they're not sitting next to the quote unquote best, you know, it's like, how can you make sure that everybody in the room is giving their best to the effort or to the team? And I think that sometimes when we look at leaders, people in leadership, they might be in leadership um, and they might not be, it, the reason why they're in leadership might not be because they're the best leader or they're qualified to be a leader, you know, especially in certain settings I've been in corporate, especially, you know, there's people who have, made strong commitments to the organization. Maybe they stayed up really late or they worked really long hours, but is that what really qualifies somebody to be a great leader? And I don't know if that necessarily, you know, um, is what got them to into a leadership role, exhibiting characteristics of a great leader, maybe ne weren't necessarily the things that got them there, so. Right, yeah. Yeah, no, no, I agree with you 100% because I've seen that happen numerous times that somebody's really good at their job or their role that they play in the job. And, and, and at some point, they can't give them any more raises, so they promote them. But the person is good at their job. They're not necessarily good at leading people. And, and so they end up really being unhappy. They accept the promotion because you're supposed to, right? You're supposed to say, yes, thank you, and you move on. But <clears throat> you may not be at all you know, have a skill set to now all of a sudden be leading people. Um, so they end up by default managing people and people don't want to be managed. They want to be led. And I mean, who, who wants to be managed? I don't, you know, it's like, I didn't want to be managed when I was a, when I was a child, I don't want to be managed now as an adult, <laughs> you know? So um, I want to be invited into something bigger than myself, you know? Absolutely. And that's one thing I got to shout out my brother, Matthew Simpson one more time because he's uh, somebody that's always uh, consuming knowledge and giving it away. 
but he was uh, reading the book and I, I had to ask him exactly what book it was, but he said in the book, it said that great leaders manage themselves. And um, I just thought that that was, that was very profound. And I found that even in my own, the role I'm in now, sometimes I'm like trying to make sure everybody else got what they needed to get done, done. And then I look at my list and it's still unchecked. <laughs> mm-hmm. you know? So, yeah, man, I think, I think um, I agree with you, you know, like, I think that, and I think that we are right now, um, these are historic times, you know what I mean? We're less than seven days away from a, you know, out, you know, out of a removed, I should say, from an historic election. And um, I think leadership is definitely on, um, has a spotlight on it right now, you know, the idea and the concept and, you know, certain designated leaders. And, um, I'm, I am optimistic, you know, and um, I'm excited to see see what happens for the next next four years. So I'm keep my keep my I'm not gonna hold my breath, but I'm gonna keep yeah. my fingers crossed. Yeah, yeah. I'm I I very much I feel the same way. I really I really hope in the midst of uh, a year to remember, right, with all the things that have happened in 2020, um, it, it clearly is an opportunity for 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 change and and for uh, for growth and for the ability for some things to be um, significantly different. Um, I think anytime we have, you know, this is right, right when this uh, when this all came down. Um, like everyone, I was I, I was concerned, worried, not knowing for sure what does this virus mean, how what kind of impact it's going to be, and waiting for the next shoe to drop and the next, you know, uh, next you know, uh, restriction to happen or whatever. And I, and I remember at some point saying, I can't, I can't keep responding with fear here. I can't, I have to, I gotta, I gotta ground myself. And so I started asking myself different questions and then my staff and my clients, like what obstacles can come out of this chaos or I'm sorry, what opportunities can come out of this chaos? So what, you know, the greater the obstacle, the greater the opportunity for growth. So how can we find opportunity of growth in the midst of all this chaos going on? And that seemed to give me a little bit of a breathing room to start looking at, okay, I know that during time periods of setbacks, that's when, you know, innovators and creatives, they come in and they, they, they create what the people need in the midst of that darkness. And, well, this is a pretty, pretty dark time. So it's, it's, it's the opportunity is here um, for that innovation and creativity um, to happen, you know? And um, so I, you know, that and the other question I would, was asking, still ask, what, what have I learned about myself that I wouldn't have learned if all this wasn't going on, you know? And um you know, it's, it's uh, just in, you know, just, just that in itself, what would I've learned? What have I learned or I am learning about myself that I wouldn't have learned if the pandemic or the election or the whatever wasn't happening this year. Cause I don't yeah. tend to learn things when things are easy. Right. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. Like, um, you know, I, in, in the work that we do here at, at Youthville Rockford, you know, we we challenge uh, the trainees every day, you know, to 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 just gain a, a deeper sense of self awareness, 
and and think about, you know, number one, what do the, the people that know you, what do they know you for? Mm. And we talk a lot about social capital. And I think that, you know, now more than now more than ever, you know, we have to um I think it's a it becomes a question of value, you know? Um and and to me, you know, when you start to look at um do you value yourself? You know, that's what we talk a lot about in self-respect, but um I think it's people can say that they value whatever they say they claim to value but to me how you qualify what somebody values is looking at how they spend their time their money and their energy mm-hmm. and we've you know been able you know you can spend some money and spend some time in a different time zone you know what i mean you can travel you know we've always you know been especially as americans with a blue passport you know, we've had the privilege of traveling anywhere in the world. Um, all you gotta do is pay for it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we spent endless hours, you know, the 40 hour work week doesn't exist anymore, especially if you wanna be a top performer and a top performer in whatever organization or industry that you, you know, you live and work, you work in. And um, so we've spent, you know, 60 plus hours a week, you know, on our professions and building our, you know, organizations or our credibility um, within certain networks. And, you know, I think, you know, now it's, you know, becoming more and more evident, you know, with the fact, okay, there's a travel ban, you know, now you can't put your eggs where you used to put them, (laughs) you know what I mean? Um, And it's definitely, you know, forcing people to, to sit down you know, and I think it's it's really showing you, you know, either as you reflect, you know, man, I used to spend so like I'm itching, I'm I'm going through withdrawal symptoms because I can't do the things that I used to do and the ways I used to do them. And I used to get, you know, I didn't know before, but I was addicted to that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I used to like, you know, uh I got so much comfort and so much, you know, so much of who I was was invested in doing these things that now I can't do. And I feel less than, you know, I feel like I'm questioning my worth and my value um, because I can't do some of the things I used to do that used to get me um, through the day. (laughs) You know what I mean? So I think it's, you know, it's, it's really showing, uh, I think, shining the light on, you know, where people spend their time, where people spend their energy and where people spend their money and what they truly value. And now we're having to do it, in, you know, and, and invest those things, you know, forced, for, being forced to invest those things, maybe in areas that before we claimed we value, but we didn't invest in. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it, it's definitely been a, a time for self-reflection and, and as we come out of that time it'll be interesting I, I think the world will never be the same um but i hope you know people have taken that time because now you got more time <laughs> yep, yep. now you're working from home yep, you know what i mean yep. uh hopefully you got more energy 
Um, you're not spending as much, you know, not going out. Maybe you, you know, substituted it with Amazon, but uh, <laughs> hopefully, you know, um, people have been able to to reserve some of their time, their money and their energy and and spend it. And, and, and I'm privileged. I, I should say that, you know, I have a salary job. I've been working the entire time. You know, some people have been scrambling, you know what I mean, um, to, to make ends meet during this time. So I think I'm speaking from a very, you know, a privileged perspective and and the fact that I've had more time and I've had more energy and I've had more money because, you know, I haven't been spending it on maybe frivolous things that I was spending it on before. Um, But I know a lot of people in that position. (laughs) Sure, sure. (laughs) So I think it's it's definitely raised a question, a question of value and even value in human life. You know what I mean? There's been, there's been entire governments, you know, municipalities. I've heard, I heard the mayor of uh, Las Vegas specifically say, you know, on the question and the topic of, you know, should we open our economy and allow people to, you know, to travel, you know, to Vegas um, when there's a health, you know, uh, a health uh, pandemic, you know, um, a very serious public health issue. And the mayor of Las Vegas said people die every day. <laughs> you know, so I think, you know, it's, it's really shined a lot of light on what people truly value, even through the election. Yeah. You know, something that my, my current executive director, William Chapman, he says a lot, shout out to Will. You know, some, some people are loyal to people and not loyal to principle. You know, and I think we've seen a lot of that (laughs) over the past, you know, I don't know, year, six months since the pandemic has started, you know, um, but yeah, I I definitely can appreciate, um, you know, like you said, um, the double-edged sword, you know, of of a lot of the the hurdles and obstacles we've had to overcome in 2020. Um, On one hand is, you know, um, felt oppressive at times. And then on at the same time, you know, really shown a lot of, given us a lot of opportunity, whether that be to self-reflect, you know, or to grow, you know, um, and, you know, fiscally, financially, and, you know, morally as, as people. I definitely think it's been an opportunity <clears throat> for us to challenge personal rules or, or rules that we were, have been following that maybe we just unconsciously followed, you know, meaning like, this is what I've always done. So this is what I do. And, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden we can't do those things. And then we find out we got to, re- we got to, we got to wrestle with that. We got to now how am I going to, so what do I do that? I can't do that thing that I just do it. You know, I, I started lifting weights when I was 11 years old. <clears throat> I'll be uh, this coming week, I'll be 53 and, um, and I've been, so I've been lifting weights for, for 42 years and most of that 42 years, it's been at a gym. Well, I haven't been in a gym since, since March and mm-hmm. still been, you know, set up a workout space down in my basement and still doing, you know, workouts four days a week. And I'm not hundred percent sure I want to go back to the gym because I can, I can spend my time, uh, added, added time to to stretch, to meditate, to have my quiet time and can still get my workout in and I don't have to commute. I don't have to wait for equipment, you know? Um, 
but you would have asked me a year ago. I said, no, 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 I don't, I don't work out at home. I, I got, I got to, I work out at the gym, <laughs> so, right. you know, and, um, and then you take that away. You figure it out. You figure, you figure out what you're going to do. And even when I had the option to go back, mm, maybe next week. <laughs> so, right. so let me, let me, let me hop topics for a second. So um, I'm curious, how, 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 how did you get into like this, this whole aspect of like who, who modeled for you this idea and who invited you into this idea of helping people and making a difference, not only in individuals, like the individuals that you work with, but then also a larger aspect of community. So, so tell us a little bit about where that story, where that story came from, who, who are some influencers in your life that uh, obviously that, you know, Mr. Cruz was a huge piece of that and, and utilized, you know, it, it doesn't surprise me that a, now that I think about it, a government, a good out of the box government teacher is of course <laughs> going to use uh, the arts to be able to express political views. It's been done throughout our, our, you know, especially in American history, you know, during, during the sixties and, and during different time periods, we've, they've always, musicians have always been, and, and artists have always been a voice for, um, for injustice and, and, and desiring justice. So it doesn't surprise me. I wasn't thinking that when, when, when I first asked you that, but now reflecting on it, I'm, well, of course, Mr. Cruz is going to invite you into that, you know? Um, so, but, but regarding uh, making an impact in, on individuals as well as a community, what, what, where'd that seed, where'd those seeds get planted? Sure. Absolutely. Um, so, so one of the things that I always, I always say, and I, and I truly believe is that I was raised by the universe. And I say that because, and that's not to discredit my biological parents or my, my, my family by any means. I, at the same time, I think it's about a lot of times we have expectations of, of people for, because of the roles and the titles that they might have. And what I've learned is that unspoken expectations aren't realistic expectations. <laughs> and, uh, so I don't know. I just I, I I guess what I'm saying is I can I can look back on my, at my life and all my life and at different points in time I can always remember there being you know a coach or a football player or somebody at church or even just somebody you know within the neighborhood that I just you know was close enough to me that I could you know they could expose me to something or say something to me that intrigued me or, or made me just think a different way. And <clears throat> I always, I just think that sometimes we, we discredit or we disqualify how the impact of your village, you know, and how important it is to have a village and a tribe, you know, of, of different people. Um, I've been, man, I've been influenced by, you know, people who will never know you know, that man, like you just, the way that you dressed, you know, like somebody, you know, at church, they always just had a certain way of dressing. And I always just admired that, you know? Um, <clears throat> but, you know, there's definitely some staples that have been in my life, you know, culturize it, you know, one of my coaches in high school, 
Miss um, Bird, my third grade teacher. <laughs> um, you know, uh, some of the local greats, you know, Victory Bell, uh, first black alderman in, in Rockford, Illinois. Um, of course, my of course my parents, you know, I think that in my bloodline, if you look back, you know, Patterson men, you know, my <clears throat> from my grandfather who had, you know, a, a black owned beauty supply store in North Chicago, Illinois. Um, my father, you know, who's always been an entrepreneur, always had a side hustle, you know, um, <laughs> and my mom, you know what I mean, who, you know, always taught me to save, like never spend your last dollar, you know, um, to my stepmother, you know, who always watched, you know, she always worked, uh, always worked in court through corporate America, um, but she always also served in at the church, you know, she always told me that there's no such thing as an unemployed saint, you know, and so she, you know, um, but she always, my, my stepmom always invested in the things that she claimed to believe in. And um, that was powerful for me. Um, and so I, I just think it was something I was, I was always exposed to growing up, you know, and, uh, and then being able to go to places and do things that I never imagined I'd be able to do. And then when I look back and figure out why I was able to do them, it was because somebody uh, saw something in me or invested in me in some way. And uh, so I feel that same obligation. When I look back at my life, you know, I've made uh, probably more bad decisions than good decisions, you know, but the few good decisions that I have made, you know, some of them saved my life. And, I just, uh, I think that you have to acknowledge that, you know, when I talk to very successful individuals, uh, my mechanic, for instance, uh, Gottman Automotive, <laughs> um, Joe Gottman, you know what I mean? He's a good guy. He's, he's, great, my mechanic, he's my mechanic too. He's a great guy. Great dude, man. And I, I hope he don't mind me, you know, since I threw his name out there, but I, you know, I talked to people a lot and I was asking him, like, how did he know he could do what he was doing? Like, how did you get the idea that, man, not only can I work on cars, but I can own an auto repair business and provide jobs and for, you know, I don't know, maybe like I always see at least five to 10 people that work there. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like be a job creator. Yeah. And um, he told me a story about when he was a, a, a young child, his father, uh, he had an issue with his, his bicycle and he uh, uh, approached his dad and his dad took his entire bike, took his bike completely apart and then rebuilt it right there in front of him and fixed the issue. And um, he credited that experience that his dad, you know what I'm saying, might, may not even remember, you know, I don't know if his dad's still around, but maybe if you asked him, you know, he may or may not remember, even remember that, you know what I mean? Um, but that was the spark that has now led to him, you know, being a job creator and having his own business, you know, being an independent, you know, an entrepreneur and creating jobs for people um, and helping numerous, countless people, you know what I'm saying, get to work on time because <laughs> they got, you know, providing a quality service for people. So um, I just I just think that we don't give enough credit you know to the villages that have truly raised us you know 
And uh, so there's countless people um, that I have to thank, but I love, I love the work, you know, that I do. Um, I've been blessed to be working here at Youthfield Rockford. And I just know the value of, because I, because I recognize the value of the people who have invested in me, I know that I didn't do it all by myself. You know, I think that there's a thought and idea, especially in Western culture, that if somebody's poor, they're poor because they made a ton of bad decisions. And I am where I am because I made all the all the right decisions. Mm. And it's like, no, you just never got caught. Yeah. <laughs> like, or somehow you made it out of a situation or a circumstance, or you had somebody within your network that you can call. And you know, that's why I think in the work that, you know, that I'm doing, I'm blessed to do now, you know, working with people. Um, I just know, like, what if I didn't have that person to confide in or that, you know, if I wasn't exposed to a certain thing or if somebody never, um, you know, invested in me in the ways that the people that around me have, how, you know, where would I be at right now? You know, you can never disqualify going back to the story I t told about, you know, Joe Gottman, like, you know, what if he didn't have a father? You know what I mean? Like he told the story of how an experience he had with his father led to him now being an entrepreneur for over how many decades and providing jobs and providing a quality service, helping people for decades. All that all was sparked by an experience he had with his father. If what if he didn't have a father? You know what I mean? Like, how would his life be different? And I think those are the type of things that get discredited and disqualified when we're talking about human services, providing human services. And sometimes there's decisions that are made within human services by people, uh, for people, by people who have never been in the circumstances or predicaments that they're making uh, of the people that they're making decisions for. And, um, and I'm not saying that they're not qualified just because they've never been in that situation or circumstance, but I definitely believe that individuals that they're making decisions for, their perspectives and opinions have to be a part of the decision. Otherwise, it's more, more or less not gonna be a feasible or a viable solution. Um, but. Yeah, well, I think you're 100% right because to, to, to not necessarily, I mean, it's kind of like, you know, you, you've been involved with Shatter Our Silence and, and been involved with, uh, you know, where our MC last, last time we had an in-person event, uh, a fundraising event, you were our MC, did a phenomenal job. Um, but when we put that, originally put the board together and continue <clears throat> put the board together, I, I knew that it was, it was in, really important to me that the board always include at least one young adult or adolescent, at least one individual who had been directly impacted by suicide, either you know, a mom who had lost uh, a child to suicide or someone who had been suicidal and now was, on, you know, was, you know, was in recovery from that. Um, or, or a sibling, they've lost a sibling or something, or, and then also then someone who works in the profession um, of, of some capacity, because we can have a lot of different people who want to be involved and, and donors and different things like that. But if we don't have those 
those key individuals that can represent the the young adults, the significant others of those young adults, and then the professionals that work with them, then that takes away from, then we're not really fulfilling the mission. And um, so it, it's, it, those meetings aren't always easy to run because sometimes, you know, <laughs> there's a lot of, there's a lot of, there's a lot of talking and there's a lot of things going, you know, going on. But, um, but I think the experience is so much richer because we, we get that input and, um, and, and, it, and it holds us accountable to why we're doing what we really do with it. Man, I think you hit it on the head. And I, I think like one of the challenges, I think you can't really, sometimes it, it's hard to grow in comfort, you know, and you probably notice even more like as a, you know, somebody who's um, done professional weightlifting, you know, I mean, if you're always lifting five pounds, I mean, <laughs> like at some point you need to go to 10 or yeah, at least yeah. seven. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> you know yeah, yeah. If you want to see that growth, you know what I mean? And I think that's a big challenge. You know, uh, I think naturally we crave comfort. Um, but at the same time, you, like you said, like having individuals that are different than you at the decision making table with you you know, it might not be comfortable all the time. And that's probably, you know, maybe a reason why some people, um, and, and maybe it's unintentional sometimes why there's, you know, no diversity. Um, but I think being used the word intentional, you know, uh, it's easy to say, well, we invited everybody, but only my friends came, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and, and stop there. Like, Who'd you send an invitation to? You know what I mean? Like, how did you send the invitation? Yeah. You know, certain people, you emailed everybody, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, there's certain people, maybe that's not the best method to reach the demographic or individuals that you claim that you want to make a connection to or with. You know, sometimes you have to meet people where they are, you know, and not necessarily where you are. You know, I see that with young people all every day. It never fails. You know, um, I'm talking to them about something, and it's like it's I'm going over their head with it because I'm, you know, I'm almost 20 years older than them. You know what I mean? So it's like for me to really make a connection with them, you know, I have to use a certain language, you know, in certain mediums. Uh, I think language is a medium. You know what I mean? So I think the language is important as well. Um, and sometimes we're using language that doesn't resonate with certain people, but we're saying that we want to make a connection with those people, you know, but I'll be off. So, tell, tell, give us a, like a, a, a two minute highlight of youth build has been around for a long time. And, and <clears> so what, what exactly for the people that are not familiar with youth build and what you, and what youth build does for our community does for our youth. Uh, what, why don't you give, give the audience a little bit of a uh, little bit of what is youth build about? What do you, what is, what are you really trying to do? And then if there was like a, a uh, a story since you've been there, something that you saw, and you don't have to mention any names or anything, um, that, that was like, okay, now I know I'm in the right place. Absolutely. Um, so I'll say there's two, two programs, if I may speak to, or efforts that I'm involved with um, that work directly with youth. Okay. Um, one of them is the Wabango Leadership Council. Um, which is a, a local a nonprofit here in Rockford, Illinois, with the mission 
of enhancing leadership capacity within the African-American community here in Rockford. Um, and then there's also uh, Youth Build Rockford, which the two are definitely not necessarily connected at all, just two different efforts that I'm involved with. Um, and uh, the Wabongo Leadership Council, one of the efforts that we've done for the past six years, our biggest, uh, I guess, initiative is a college tour that we've done every year for the past six years. And um, it's just been a tremendous effort taking youth from the city of Rockford, Illinois. And we it's a multi-state college tour. So we go, uh, we've, we've been all the way to New York, to Florida, to, you know, um, Texas, uh, Mississippi. So, you know, and we prioritize HBCUs, which is uh, historically black colleges and universities, um, because culture is something that's very important to us. And culture being the way that people experience the world. And I think the reality is that um, we're all in this world, you know, together, but um, people are experiencing the world different ways um, for different reasons. And uh, so that culture piece, you know, we want to expose the youth in our community to culture that might not exist um, or may exist, you know, but they might not be connected to it here in Rockford. Um, also, another thing I'm involved with is uh, definitely uh, Youth Build Rockford. And that is my full-time job that I report to day in and day out. And um, actually, so Youth Build USA, uh, there's a Youth Build is a national network of programs, and Youth Build USA started in 1978 in uh, Harlem, New York. And uh, there's actually a, a woman called uh, D Dorothy Stoneman, and she started the organization. And um, I would I was I would say that there's you know there was an opportunity to tap into the positive energy uh of of young people and they saw an opportunity and in, in harlem at the time for also and uh blighted to solve the opportunity of blighted properties within the community so the connection between the tapping into the positive energy of young people and solving the issue of blight and the need for uh, affordable housing uh, those two came together in 1978 uh, I think they're very much at the foundation of youth build programming um, and also, you know, civic engagement um, and social justice as well, I think, are, are components as well. But um, so youth build programs across the country work to uh, impact young people positively, uh, individuals that might have uh, dropped out of high school or be out of high school for whatever reason. Uh, maybe they don't have enough credits to be on track in high school. Um, and so youth build programs serve that population of individuals across the country. And we work, there's various components to our programming, but uh, construction is one of those components. And so they get, uh, it, it, it's a workforce development program and they learn skills um, that are transferable to any work environment. So some people, some people say, well, I, you know, what if I don't want to be in construction? Uh, actually, there's a, you know, 15 to 25% um, of individuals that graduate from youth build programs actually go into careers in construction. But the, the, the beauty of it is the individuals in our program are learning life skills 
employability skills, um, leadership skills, civic engagement. Um, so an example is a, a life skill, you know, being able to communicate, being able to take feedback, you know, or what people might say, constructive criticism. <laughs> Somebody might be telling you something that you might not want to hear. Um, how do you accept that, you know, um, and then, you know, move forward in a constructive way? That's a life skill. And that's something that you also need to be able to do in a work environment. So on the work site, as the individuals are building affordable housing in a youth build program, um, the work site is also used essentially as a classroom um, where a lot of the theories and the ideas that we're, we might be teaching in life skills or employability skills in the classroom can actually be practiced. And so you might get, you know, you might be performing a task on a work site and the instructor might come up to you and say, hey man, um, you know, you kind of like two inches off, <laughs> you know, looking at the blueprint, it was actually supposed to be here and you have it there. Um, so being able to take that feedback and that instruction and then, you know, even though like you might have been working really hard for the past hour on that, it's wrong. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, so how do you take that feedback um, in a constructive way, respond in a constructive way, and then actually move forward so that you can get a positive result? Um, that's something that you can take into any work environment. So we're a workforce development program. Um, we do teach construction. Um, we do teach life skills, employability skills, leadership skills. Um, and also networking, civic engagement, um, and leadership. So individuals that leave our program, the idea is that, because we're funded primarily through, through the Department of Labor, that once an individual graduates from our program, um, they'll be more employable than they were prior. Sure. That, yeah. that also means, sorry, the last thing I'll say is individuals can also earn their high school diploma through our program as well. Um, so by getting, uh, obtaining a credential um, in your high school diploma, also an industry recognized construction certificate and all the, air, the various other, you know, OSHA 10, CPR, first aid, there's a, a, a plethora of uh, credentials that individuals earn through our programming. Um, and uh, sorry, I'll be shameful, shameful <laughs> if I don't mention AmeriCorps, they all become AmeriCorps members and uh, earn community service hours as well. So through all these experiences that they're having through our programming, the idea is that, yes, you know, when I go um, to earn a, a job or go interview, I'll be able to interview well. I have a strong resume. I'll have a strong cover letter. But I'll also be able to, to speak to the experiences that I've had um, in my community and on various work sites. And based on those experiences, I have these particular skill sets that a lot, a lot of employers um, are looking for. Well, you know, I, I, I think of something that we were talking about earlier regarding the arts as well as athletics that, you know, they, you know, at the end of the day, art, you know, mimics life and, mm -hmm. and, and, and really sports is a metaphor for life, right? It's, it, mm -hmm. it, it, it's, it's so, it's so less about if we win or lose, it's so much about what have we learned, what skills have we developed, what character, character, characteristics are we developing? Because I know for me, regardless if it was, you know, all conference in football or Mr. USA when in bodybuilding, those things don't, 
necessarily didn't really mean anything except they became the template for me to then use to be a therapist and then later to be a business owner. You know, mm -hmm. it was the same template that I used regardless if it was wrestling and football or bodybuilding or later as a, as to become a counselor and therapist. Then I took that same template and, and did it toward, uh, toward running a business and, and starting a business and, and that, and that I think that it's, 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 it's an, it's the, the environment may be carpentry work and construction, but it's really about, that's just, that just happened to be the environment in which you have the opportunity to learn these skills. Um, and for, and for individuals that are, I know for me, when I was working in the school system, being able to you utilize youth build for students that did not learn best in traditional settings, it, yeah. it was, it, it was a, it was a perfect or, or maybe had, didn't have good experiences in those traditional settings for whatever reason. And mostly it had to do with, you know, struggling with stuff at home or struggling with different things that they came to school so distracted that they got labeled and identified. And then they started buying into that label that they needed an alternative way of learning and an alternative educational process so that they could then be who they really were created to be. So I give you guys tons of credit, man, because it's uh, what you do with youth build is, is, is huge. And it definitely, um, it's, it's so much more than construction and um, yeah, definitely more than construction. Yeah. And uh, you, you said I could tell a story and I'll be brief. I promise. Yeah. 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 Go ahead. <laughs> but no, I, I think uh, to that point, there was a, a, a trainee. So one a component to our program is that all of our, we call, you know, participants in our program trainees and that all the all trainees have to wear a uniform every day uh, to, to get into that habit. And uh, otherwise, you know, we'll ask you if, you, if you know, if you don't mind going home and we'll try it again tomorrow. Mm -hmm. and, uh, one particular trainee, he didn't have on his uniform one day and I brought him to the side, you know, away from everyone else. And I asked him, uh, I said, you know, hey man, wh where's your uniform? And he said, man, I don't have it today. So I said, okay, well, if you don't mind, you know, if you don't mind clocking out and, you know, what, we'll, you know, try it again tomorrow. And uh, so he left that day and didn't come back to the program for two weeks. And when he came back, um, I brought him into my office so we could have a discussion. And he was, you know, he seemed like he had something on his chest that he needed to get off. You know, he was just acting different towards me and uh, which is fine. But, you know, I asked him, you know, what was going on when I brought him to my office. And he essentially told me that he felt like that day two weeks ago, I disrespected him when I asked him to clock out and go home for the day. And my, my initial reaction was, did I disrespect you or did I hold you accountable? And I think I've told this story to a couple different people. And I think that was the really the perspective that a lot of them had was that he disrespected the program. And this is what somebody told me by not having on his uniform. And, um, you know, so in that, in that conversation I had with the young man, you know, that was kind of my energy that entire time. And, um, you know, he left and I had to think about it for the rest of the day. And I was kind of thinking about, did I handle that situation the best way possible? And um, as I thought about it more, you know, I called him back into my office, you know, and 
I apologized to him. And the reason why is because in the initial conversation, you know, what he, what he told me was, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. Mm-hmm. And as I thought about it, I, I really felt like he was telling me that I hurt his feelings. And one thing that I've learned is that feelings aren't debatable. You know, when somebody tells you that you did something to make them feel a certain way, even though you might not, I think a lot of times what we tend to do is like defend ourselves and defend our intent. You know, it's like, that wasn't my intention. So like, no, like that's not what really happened. And it's like, no, like that's what happened. You know what I mean? And it made whatever happened made them feel that way. And so um, <clears throat> I think sometimes, you know, we can get so caught up on trying to force feed people, you know, employability skills or works like workforce development skills, you know, and social services. We were trying to <clears throat> we're trying to cram down their throats, you know what we feel like is good for them <clears throat> and doing our job, you know? <clears throat> I think sometimes we lose sight of the person, like this is a participant in a program and this is my responsibility in this program. And we lose sight of the person that's sitting right in front of us. And um, <clears throat> I don't know, he taught me a big lesson that day because that was me, you know, in the first conversation. And then the second conversation, you know, the first thing I did was say, man, if I heard you correctly, you said the comp- when I asked you to clock out and go home that day, you felt like I disrespected you. And he was like, yeah. And I said, and it wasn't what I was saying. It was because of the way that I said it to you. And in my correcting thinking that he said, yeah. And I said, I apologize, man. Like, you know, it definitely wasn't my intention you know, to, you know, to speak to you a certain way or to speak down at at you. And I did it that day and I apologize. And sometimes I get, I move really fast in the morning. There's a lot going on. And so I can see how I can maybe lose sight of that. And moving forward, I'll be more conscious of that uh, to ensure that it doesn't happen again. Do you accept my apology? And he was like, yo, like, yeah, like I do. And I could, I could, I, I don't know if anybody's ever maybe apologized to him like that before mm-hmm. or acknowledged his feelings before. Yeah. And I think that that ha- impacted his motivation to want to be in this program, that interaction that we had. And I think that employers even now moving forward, you know, especially with, with millennials, like I've seen, I've talked to a lot of young people, they've gotten their feelings hurt at work and never, and walked off the job and never came back. And um, I think that employers are even more importantly going to have to start looking at their motivation quotient, you know, a little bit differently because, you know, millennials now, but this new generation, you know, my, you know, grandparents, you know, regardless of how they felt like they were going to go to work, (laughs) you know what I mean? You could, you could hurt their feelings enough for them not to come to work. But nowadays, you know, I think that's impacting people's motivation. You know, and uh, I just learned a lot about, you know, being able to when when we're working with people, you know, no matter what our intended outcomes might be or 
what our job description is. You're working with people. And uh, sometimes, you know, hurt people hurt people. Like you have to address the issue that of that person before you can address the issue as that they have as an employee, an employee yeah. and um, or a participant or whatever other title they might have. And I learned that lesson that day. Well, I think, you know, we, you know, we started off this conversation, you know, about talking about leadership and talking about, you know, being in a, being in a role, right, of, of being a su supervisor or a president or whatever it may be, that it comes with great responsibility of, of to do just what you just did, you know, to be, to be grounded enough to say, ooh, I don't know if I'm okay with how I handled that. Mm -hmm. I, I'm going to reflect on that and I'm going to own my part and bring this young man back in and have a conversation with him about it, not to defend yourself, but to clear it up with him. And then he then has the opportunity to do what, what he, whatever he's going to do with it. But what you modeled for him is what you've been taught by all those different people in your past that mm. have planted those seeds and modeled for you. Um, that's what not only as leaders, but specifically us male leaders, we're even, it's even more important and more responsible to model that and, and keep our egos in check and step into that space to humble mm. ourselves when we've could have done it better, mm. Mm -hmm. you know, and, um, and because it, 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 it isn't done enough. Instead, we're so busy. There's so many times people are tempted to defend their situation and defend their perspective or their intention, as you said. Um, and, and that doesn't necessarily, you know, um, you know, bridge the gap. And yeah. um, I think that I, I think what you just said, what you did with that young man, um, that was huge. Um, we, yeah. we need, we need to, we need to bottle that and, and send that out. <laughs> so my, my friend, I know we, you know, I've been keeping you way too long and this has been a long day for you. So if there was one thing that we were going to wrap up with today, what's one thing that you would want the, the, the listeners to, to know about Josh and know about what Josh is trying to do for the community? Man. Um, I, w I would have to say that, we need each other. You can't, you can't build a box big enough, you know, to where, you know, you can't make walls big enough to where you can keep everybody out that you don't want, you know, where you, you can't build walls big enough where you only invite, you know, the, your friends to the party, you know, when we're talking about the global community. And uh, so I think we all have a responsibility, you know, uh, to create the spaces that, you know, that we want to live in. And uh, there has to be opportunity for everybody. You know, one thing that I always say is that if you don't make money, then you take money, you know? And it's just about opportunity. You know, it's not about being afraid or having fear. You know, it's just about, you know, everybody needs opportunities and, it might not look like you like you want it to look. You might, it might not sound like you want it to sound, you know. And we have to just you know check ourselves, you know, sometimes, and uh, and just realize that, you know, the world, you know, it's a big place, and there's you know people from all different you know perspectives, and you know, and uh, we have to make room for that, you know, we have to make room for each other, you know, it's a big world. 
And uh, I think that, you know, there's enough room for everybody, you know? So you just gotta make room in your heart first, you know? So that's it. Josh, you're a good man. And I know that I uh, have a much richer life because you've been in it and um, I appreciate you. <laughs> Likewise, man, thank you so much. I appreciate the journey uh, and this opportunity to spend time with you, man. Thank you. You are definitely one of those people in my village that I talked about that I've learned a lot from. I continue to learn from every day, man. You're an entrepreneur, a father, a husband. Man, you wear so many hats. A bodybuilder, you know, somebody, I, you know, I, 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 I want my body to look like one day. <laughs> I got to work up to that point. But thank you so much for having me, man. I appreciate yeah, it. No problem. Josh, thank you. And you keep up doing, the, doing everything that you're doing. All right, my friend. I'll talk to you soon. All right, boss. All right.